Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 12, called Sanctuary, written by Joe Minoski and directed by Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes! I know! We have no new reviews this week, but if you would like to leave a review, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, write a review below, and we will read it on an upcoming episode. You can send us emails to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can chat with us in Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we talk about the episode, Katie has trivia. I sure do. In this episode, Havina says the line, every revolution begins with a single act of defiance. And that's actually a famous quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, interesting. So I know. She even says in the episode two, she says, I don't know who said it mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, that's very wise. Who said that? And Havina's like, oh, I have no idea. Just, you know, Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> this was really interesting to me. And this is kind of a guest star fun fact combo. Marina Sirtis is in this episode, mm-hmm. who, if you don't know who she is, I got to meet her once and she's amazing. Um, She played Deanna Troy on Star Trek The Next Generation, and she plays a school teacher in this episode. But apparently, due to last minute scheduling changes, Marina Sirtis had to perform her role on camera a mere 24 hours after she was hired. That is a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it like she had to memorize her lines. Granted, it wasn't like the biggest role ever, but I was like, that's impressive. Just be like, I'm on set next day doing this. Yeah. I also love that it's the episode directed by Jonathan Frakes. I know. So like Rob just said, Jonathan Frakes directed this episode. He is Riker, our number one from Star Trek The Next Generation. He's done a lot of directing after Star Trek and even on Star Trek. Yeah. So it's really cool to see him a part of the Orville now. Yeah, he directed Star Trek First Contact, mm-hmm. the entire movie. He's also done episodes of Discovery, uh, obviously here episodes of Orville, and he's done an episode of Picard as well. It makes me so happy that he's touched this universe as well. So Orville producer and writer Joe Minoski was one of the head writers for Star Trek Voyager, and he also had been on the production and writing staff of The Next Generation as well. Mm. I think that's pretty cool that now there's not only a director from Star Trek Next Gen, there's also a writer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we see so much of that bleed over here. They just share so much DNA, and I love that. Yeah. So my fun facts today are definitely a hybrid of guest stars, guest appearances and all that, and fun facts. And so one of the Mocklin ambassadors is played by an actor named Tony Todd. He played Kern on Star Trek The Next Generation and also in Deep Space Nine. And then on Deep Space Nine, he also played an elderly Jake Sisko in a season four episode. The Visitor is the name of the episode. It's not only my favorite episode of DS9, but one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek in general. It's amazing. See, that gives me... I need to get on this. I need to work through... I think... I don't know. I kind of want to watch Voyager and Deep Space Nine at the same time, but in my head, I'm like, I need to watch them in order, Mm -hmm. which I know I don't need to. You don't need to, but Deep Space Nine overlaps with the latter seasons of TNG. Yeah. So I'm going to add that to my list, especially now that this specific episode 
you speak so highly of. I need to see it now. It's absolutely amazing. And you are going to cry so much. <laughs> oh, man. Anything with Star Trek now, I cry like a baby if there's anything emotional in it. <laughs> <laughs> that now uh, you mentioned that he played Kern on TNG, who's actually Worf's brother. Oh, there's just so much nostalgia just in general with with Next Gen. And I love that we're even discussing these aspects of the show mm -hmm. coinciding with Orville. Yeah. So Havina is back in this episode and she is played by Rena Owen. And it's just cool to see her back in action in this episode. I was very happy to see Havina return. And then last but not least, F. Murray Abraham plays the chairman of the Planetary Union Council. He was an actor in Star Trek Insurrection, which is one of my favorite Star Trek movies. And he's been in a bunch of other projects such as Scarface, The Good Wife, a personal favorite, Muppets from Space, <laughs> um, Homeland, amongst many other things. But mm -hmm. he was phenomenal in this episode as well. Yeah, he was great. So that wraps up all my trivia slash guests for this episode. Okay. In the briefing room, Mercer, Grayson, and Bordis are taking a call from Admiral Halsey. Following the Kalon attack, they've been ordered to take the Orville to a Mocklin station to have the weapons upgraded. Once that's complete, they're to transport a Mocklin engineer to another system. The Mocklins really did upgrade quite a bit on the Orville, it seemed like. And they were efficient at it. Yeah, when they get the stats from the report following the upgrades and everything, Mercer's just like, whoa, that, okay, you over exceeded our expectations here. And I didn't realize it because it's the beginning of the episode, but it's like foreshadowing for later in this episode when it's like, we are the powerhouse with weapons mm -hmm. and look at all this cool stuff that we bring to your table. And I think this was just a show of the Mocklins are a very powerful ally. Yeah. With the weapons refit completed, Tala escorts Torin and Korok to their quarters. Once inside, Korok is worried that they'll be discovered, but Torin assures him everything will be fine. They open one of their luggage containers and look inside to make sure it's all right, though at this point, they don't reveal to the audience what exactly they're taking a look at. I knew what was in the briefcase. Did you, when they were walking down the hall and they're just carrying it, since this is the second time I've seen this episode, mm -hmm. I'm like, wait. There's just a baby lying sideways inside of that briefcase. And I had like a mild anxiety about it. Same. Yeah. But I assume a stasis chamber keeps something almost suspended in place as well. Yeah. So I'm assuming the kid's not just jostling just around just inside there. Hanging against the sides <laughs> yeah. of the briefcase. In one of the classrooms, Topa gets into a fight with a human girl. He tells her that he doesn't share with females because his papa says they're weak then shoves her to the ground. The teacher later meets with Bordis and Clyden and informs them of Topa's recurring behavior toward females. Clyden suggests that the males and females be separated, but Bordis apologizes and informs her that they'll speak to Topa. I had a physical reaction to when Topa pushed the girl down. Yeah. Just because I'm like, damn, that like, there's a lot of stuff in our society where like things are learned, mm -hmm. like intolerance of other people and things like that. And I was just like, damn it, Clyden. Because in my head, I'm like, it's definitely Clyden telling Topa females are the lesser gender. Mm -hmm. They don't deserve respect, essentially. And that's just like crazy because like kids don't know any better. They just kind of do what they, I don't know, they learn. And mm -hmm. that was a perfect show of it. Yeah, it's the only place that Topa would have possibly learned this is from Clyden. Yeah, because Bordis has always been a little bit more forward thinking especially considering he didn't want the gender change for Topa. Yep. But I did geek out really hard when I was like, 
Marina Sirtis is the school teacher. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just distracted by this now. <laughs> I was like, now I now I'm happy, but I'm still a little upset about what Tope is doing. Yeah. But it is a really good example of even in our day and age of like how kids learn things from their parents without mm-hmm. having any good basis for it. Mm. I found it interesting, too, that Clyden's prejudice towards females extends beyond Mocklin's. Mm-hmm. Even if it were true that Mocklin females were inferior to the males in some way, who's to say that that extends beyond the Mocklin species? It is. It's just he doesn't value females in general. Yeah. Which that's when they're like Bordis and Clyden are having the meeting with the teacher. Mm -hmm. Is Clyden just kind of going, this is a woman teacher. One would think. And I'm sitting there like the prejudices that Clyden has. It's very interesting to see Clyden interact with the crew. Mm -hmm. But in general, just Bordis's patience with him. Mm. That's like if you had a partner who essentially was doing these things and you're just kind of like, oh, my God, I'm sorry for his behavior. And it's it's hard to watch a little bit. Yeah. Because you can see that Clyden just thinks he's superior and very elite compared to all these other people who are working just as hard to like function in society. In their quarters, Bordis lectures Topa about his poor behavior. Topa says that Clyden taught him that females are inferior, so it doesn't matter what they think. After Topa is sent to his room, Bordis and Clyden argue about what Topa has been learning. Clyden insists that he is instilling the boy with traditional Mocklin values, while Bordis thinks being on the ship should allow him a perspective to follow his own path. I think it's different that Clyden goes, well, what if he wants to return to Mockless? Mm. So he's essentially trying to instill like the cultural traditions of Mockless in Topa while he's on this ship out in space where he has to coexist with all these other races and people and mm-hmm. genders and this season specifically has been very eye-opening into Clyden. It has. And even though Clyden's not in every episode, it's been, I think that as a much of like an ancillary character, he we've had a lot more insight into him mm-hmm. this season than other characters. And it's not always pretty. There's even a way to go about instilling those traditional Mocklin values while still valuing the females that are on board the ship. Because... Mm-hmm. Parents teach their kids that certain behaviors are okay in certain places and they're not in other places. Like, if we're going to this place, you can't do this thing like you do it at home because it's not acceptable here. Yeah. So even though Topa only knows being aboard the Orville, he could teach him that someday we might return to Mockless. On Mockless, this is how we treat these people and da da da. But here on the Orville, things work differently and you could have both. Yeah. Not that I'm saying he should be teaching him that females are inferior (laughs) anywhere, but there is still a way to do it and satisfy both parties. It just demonstrates how narrow-minded Clyden is. It does. And it wasn't the reveal in this episode that Clyden was born female, right? That wasn't revealed in this episode, but it is something that we know. Yeah. It had been revealed, yeah. Yeah, so that was something where... I wonder if Clyden just leans into it more because he feels like he has to overcompensate. I would not be surprised. It's kind of like the way Warfax, because he's the only Klingon on board the Enterprise, he's Mm -hmm. like an extra Klingon when it comes to (laughs) honor. Yeah, and he's like super serious, even though most other Klingons all laugh and are more jovial. But he's like, 
super serious about all his Klingon stuff because he feels he has to overcompensate. I think mm-hmm. that's very similar to what Clyden's doing here. So in some ways, I do have empathy towards Clyden, but then there's times where I'm like, dude, you are just being rude and just not kind to other beings. Especially ones that he's around all the time. Yeah, and that like are in authority or it's essentially teaching Topa to not while he pushed over the little girl, he's having those same thoughts about the teacher, about Commander Grayson, about Mm -hmm. Dr. Finn, all of these people who are also female. They're going, well, you know, they're just not. It it parallels to like racism in our world and people who view others as less than. And it's just not a healthy thing to teach a child, especially someone who is absorbing everything. Agreed. Bordis is called from the bridge to investigate a power drain originating from the visiting Mocklin's quarters. When he arrives, he's told that the food synthesizer was modified for increased precision. When he finds no change to the synthesizer, he asks them to open the large container they're transporting. They comply, revealing an infant Mocklin girl. This is a moment where you're like, what is Bordis going to do? And you always root for like, yeah, let him go. Let him go. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I was like, why are you bringing Topa here, man? Yeah. You know he's going to tell Clyden. <laughs> and I was proud of Bordis for being like, I'm going to let this slide because, I mean, he understands. This is what he wanted to do with Topa. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, too, why Bordis was tasked with this. Mm-hmm. Was it because he's a Mocklin and they want the Mocklin to interact with the other Mocklins? Because I would think that otherwise this is a security matter and it's Tala's responsibility. Or even engineering in some way. Because of the power drain? Yeah. Yeah. Although storyline wise, I know it's because he's the one that would sympathize with them and Mm -hmm. hide the truth. So, yeah, of course, he's the one they're going to send because this story doesn't work unless he's the one that they send. Yeah, I think that maybe he was the only one available is the other thing where it's like he can handle this. Plus, it's he's a Mocklin, so it'll be like, yeah, less of a intrusion. Maybe the Mocklin visitors tell Bordis that they don't want their daughter to undergo the procedure and have been granted asylum on Retepsia. Knowing of his previous trial to protect his daughter in the same way, they ask that he not report his findings to Captain Mercer so that they may complete their journey without issue. Bordis calls back to the bridge and reports that the power drain is due to a stasis chamber for perishable supplies, which is not a lie per se. No. A child is perishable, (laughs) but it definitely falls into like uh, a lie by omission. Yeah, definitely a lie by by omission. But this is the moment where you're like, is he? Will he? Won't he? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I did a silent cheer of, yes, thank you, Bordis. I I thought it was the right call, especially this might be a way for him to go. I couldn't do this for my own kid. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can do this for yours. Yeah, I understand exactly why Bordis made the choice he did. Mm -hmm. I did did find it a little weird that given his prior history with hiding things that he still chose to hide it and didn't trust Ed a little bit more. True. Because then you think about what happens after all of this. That planet would have been a safe haven still Mm -hmm. without all this interference had Bordis gone, hey, we got a situation. Yeah. Bordis checks on Topa in his classroom before getting permission to remove him early for a family matter. He brings Topa to the visitor's quarters to see the girl and to show him that females are not so different from either of them. This is where I go. Bordis, no, stop it. This is not wise. I know why he's doing it. It's a life lesson to teach young Topa about the ways of the world. But I go, 
Topa's gonna tell Clyden. He promised. No. We all know how Topa and Clyden are. Like, they are some of the worst secret keepers mm-hmm. in the entire world. And I also feel like Clyden has a way of getting things out of people. Especially Topa. Yeah. I, I have a feeling Clyden wouldn't, wouldn't be a stranger to using guilt and manipulation and obligation to, to get some things out from, from the people he cares about. So I just, I knew, I knew it was a bad idea. Yeah. Plus, depending on how, how much of these values Clyden has instilled in Topa, Topa might feel the responsibility to report that even unprovoked just to tell him. Yeah, because showing him that, oh, look, there's a Mocklin girl is not going to undo all of that stuff that Clyden has been pushing into his head right. for, I think he's about two years old now. Probably something like that. Yeah, which is crazy because he's like a seven-year-old in human years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Torn and Korik depart the Orville, and shortly after, Bordis is called to Mercer's office, where he finds Clyden and Topa waiting for him. Topa slipped and told Clyden about the girl, who reported it to the captain. When asked why he kept it from them, Bordis says that he didn't know how Ed would respond and wanted the infant to complete her journey. Finn and Tala bring up security issues that Bordis didn't consider, like the possibility that the girl was kidnapped. Mercer says that since they transported her, they need to make sure, so a course is set to intercept the Mocklin shuttle. What do you think about, like, oh, they kidnapped? I think it's a valid concern, but I, I also see Bordis's point of view of... I didn't think that that was even something worth considering. No. But Bordis thought that there was no reason to look into that. But at the same time, Bordis's judgment is a little bit clouded based on his past history with similar conditions. So I think also, too, he knows the stakes with this. And mm-hmm. it's probably not two random Mocklins going, we're still on this female baby. I mean, I think that. There is a little bit of reach with going, oh, he may make it kidnap, but there is always the chance of that. But I think that the likelihood of that was so small. Mm. They're trying to secretly transport their child someplace safe so that she can not have this mutilating surgery, essentially. Yeah. And I do wish that Bordis had given Ed a little more credit. Yeah, I, I figured at this point that Bordis would know his response to such things. He said that he wouldn't know how Ed would have reacted. I feel like he would have. Because Ed was kind of fighting for Bordis' side in that episode. Yeah. Where they were in the council fighting for if Topa should have this surgery or not. Mm-hmm. So I do think in some ways, I don't know, maybe he is still conflicted because of how he was raised as well. Maybe. It it is interesting that this is like the second time that Bordis has gone behind the captain's back regarding a Mocklin female. The first being, like you said, when Ed refused to allow Topa to have the procedure aboard the ship. Yeah. It is interesting, though, how Bordis's perspective has changed, but his behavior has not. The the first time it was, oh, you won't let Topa get the procedure. I'm going to go behind your back and call the Mocklins to come take him which he definitely would regret now. He would never do something like that now, but he still went behind Ed's back to do this. Also, Clyden has a history of telling on Bordis quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't Clyden go like, Bordis, we have to talk about this. He just goes, I'm going to the captain and I'm going to tell on you and I'm going to bring our young child with us. Like, maybe this is the dynamic of relationships on Mockless, but dang, there's not a lot of spousal communication or at least not between Bordis and Clyden. Yeah, I'm not sure they have the best relationship. 
they're still together. They're fighting through this. But there's times where I'm like, this is one of the most interesting relationships to watch on TV in general. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, it makes me kind of sad. But I'm also like, it's not too far off from like how relationships are in general. But just like, it's almost malicious at times. (laughs) It does feel that way sometimes, (laughs) at least when it comes to this one issue. Like this is one of the big sticking points with them. Mm hmm. Also, speaking of their relationship, I found it interesting that apparently Topa calls Bordas and Clyden Papa, mm-hmm. like no separation. It's not like Papa Bordas and Papa Clyden. That's got to <laughs> be confusing. I think it, it, it is probably. But you know, like when, I mean, obviously Bordas is like, who told you that? And he goes, Papa. Yeah. You're like, I always somehow assume Papa is Clyden more than I assume it's Bordas. And I don't know if it's just because more of the time Bordis is interacting with Topa and he's talking about Clyden as Papa. It's true. Yeah. We only hear him call Bordis Papa once in this episode. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a bit with this. Um, I feel like, I don't know. It's been really interesting seeing more. Of, I feel like we've learned a lot about Mocklin's and especially Bordis and Clyden's relationship this entire season. Mm. And do you think from an outsider's perspective, they, they like the crew is going, oh, there's a lot of issues between them. I would be surprised if they weren't talking about it a little bit. They're probably one of the one of the hot couples to gossip about on the, yeah. on the show. Like, did you hear? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And especially with the given how much this crew actually gossips, it probably comes up quite a bit. Oh, my gosh. While attempting to follow the shuttle, the crew are surprised that it seems to have vanished. After a suggestion from Gordon, Isaac finds the shuttle's masked ion trail, which wasn't headed for Retepsia but a nebula about 12 light years away. As they arrive at the massive nebula, they find the ion trail leading inside, but scanners are unable to penetrate the exterior. As the Orville enters the nebula, they discover a small star system. They still can't detect the other ship, but the innermost planet appears habitable. Once in orbit, Isaac locates the Mocklin ship on the surface, and Tala detects thousands of Mocklin life forms. I did think it was interesting, Gordon's way of finding the trail. Mm-hmm. and. Knowing what we know now, it is kind of sad when you realize they've discovered this safe haven and it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it was completely accidental. They were trying just to do their due diligence and they end up revealing this whole hidden society. Do you think it was interesting that Ed was like, we got to find the ship. We got to figure out what's going on instead of just letting dogs lie. I think he can't let too many things lie at this point. He's gotten in trouble enough times by the Admiralty to where he's trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's at this point. Yeah, because I I feel like in the past, maybe he would have let this slide a little bit. Agreed. So it is interesting because now you're finding this whole civilization of Mocklins Mm -hmm. and obviously unraveling this giant secret. It was beautiful, though, to look at again. The nebula is stunning. With space porn, once again, a 10 out of 10. Yep, it really is. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine having that kind of a view from your planet. Like when they're down on the planet, we only see the blue sky. Mm-hmm. But if they could see the nebula all the time as their sky, that would be absolutely amazing. They probably can at night. I was going to say at night, maybe when it gets dark, you can see like the purple. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I just think this is more of a reason why we need to find a way to live in space. <laughs> so we shall get on that. Just so we can have nebulous guys. Mm-hmm. Ed, Kelly, Bordis, and Tala take a shuttle to the surface. And as soon as they exit it, they're surrounded by armed Mocklin women. The women take them to their village, where they see Torn and Korok with their daughter. They're led to the home of the village's leader, who turns out to be Havina. She tells them that females are born more prominently on Mocklis 
than the government admits. Most undergo the procedure, but those who oppose it risk everything to leave the planet and make their way to the sanctuary. The government keeping secrets from the people? What? What? It is interesting because I remember when Bordas is showing Topa the baby, like, look, every so many, what is it, centuries or something he said? Or I think it was. Generations or, yeah. yeah. There's a female born. I was like, but Topa was just born. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a moment there where you look at the likelihood of this happening this frequently or this. Yeah, it's, it's like a government cover up. Mm-hmm. And we had talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. back at that episode. Like we were even confused to where Topa was female. And then it was a huge shock to find out that Clyden was born female. We're like, wait, this is yeah. two in very close proximity. What are the odds of that being the case? This has to be happening more than we're being told. And yeah, here's the answer. Yeah. And, you know, that's their culture and that it's so shameful to be a female that mm-hmm. you are I'm sure the parents just go, oh, we got to get this seat. We got to get this taken care of. And they do it hush hush and no one knows. But there's obviously enough of them to inhabit an entire planet pretty much. Yeah. Or have the sanctuary where they live and enough Mocklins know about it to bring their children there as a safe haven. Yeah. They say there's something like 6,000 Mocklins living on the planet. Mm hmm. I think in my head that females are less, they occur less frequently. Yeah, agreed. But they they still occur, and it's not every few centuries or generations. It's probably every few months. <laughs> yeah, it probably yeah. is, because like, like Havina says, most undergo the procedure. Mm-hmm. So most of the ones are still not, like, th- this is still the minority of the ones who have not undergone the procedure. Yeah. Which is crazy. So that means there's a lot more that have and are either never told or they are told when they're in their adulthood, like Clyden or something. That was something, too, that was sad as I looked at all the people living on this planet. And I was like, it's just sad because they've had to be, quote unquote, in hiding. Mm-hmm. They can't have traditional. I don't know. They, they, they're forced to be still ashamed of themselves in a way or hiding in that out of fear of being caught. Mm-hmm. And they can't live their lives fully. They're more free there there than they would be on Mockless. But it's still just kind of like the sobering reality of they're being forced to be here yeah. versus a choice. Yeah. And that's kind of the big moral question of the episode, especially when they start debating it in the council. Yeah. Now that the Orville has arrived, their sanctuary is exposed. Ed suggests that he go to Union Central and submit an application for recognition as an independent state which would grant them union protection. Havina agrees and asks to accompany him. It's worth a shot, but as we've noticed with this show, not everything always works out the way we want it to. It's not always tied up with the pretty bow, and you're like, everybody's happy. But I I like that they're trying. It's it's the most sensible solution to this, because they Mm -hmm. are right. Too many people are on board the Orville. That's a lot of variables. Someone's going to squeal, Clyden. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they they they're going about this the right way. A hundred percent. They pull out of there. Clyden is calling Mockless. Yep. He's already on the phone with Mockless. <laughs> as soon as ah. they leave the nebula. <laughs> but also, Havina is just so great. I absolutely love her character. She has uh-huh. such a strong presence. Rena Owens' performance is a hundred percent fantastic. I know we've said all these things before. But yeah. it's it's worth repeating. Uh, and I do. I love the warm, familiar dynamic that her and Ed have. Yeah, I think 
Havina's just a comforting character in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. She's very calm considering the chaos that surrounds this whole situation and the unfairness of it. Yep. She still is able to find the good in it. And I think that that's something to be said just in general for having a quiet calm when everything else just is not going the way that it's not fair. It's nice to see somebody go, yeah, it's not fair, but you can still be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think she does a really good job as Havina, but she's just, she's like made for this role. Yeah. She gives some Picard level speeches too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Admiral Halsey informs them that their request for a hearing has been approved. The Mocklins, however, are not happy about it and want to start processing the fugitives immediately. The Orville remains in orbit of the planet to ensure their safety, while Mercer and Havina take a shuttle to Union Central on Earth. On the way, they discuss the role of women in human society, and Ed introduces her to a database of female artists from Earth. She stumbles upon Dolly Parton's song, Nine to Five, and declares her the voice of their revolution. I never really listened to Dolly Parton, but I know she's got like this huge following, and every time I hear one of her songs, I'm like, this is pretty darn catchy. Catchy, yes. My kind of music? No. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be like, time to put some Dolly on, but I... I like how she's like, this is the song of our people now. And it's the first song she hears. <laughs> yeah, just like literally. And it's interesting because it's co- it's pulling music from our time and it's so far in the future and it's still resonated with her. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool and how it's like this woman's working her butt off and she's not getting fairly compensated or treated properly and it still applies in the future. So <laughs> I did really like both their performances here where... Ed's like, are you sure? Like, I can show you some other. She's like, no, this is the voice. (laughs) This is the voice, dude. I mean, at the end with the button of, do you think we made Dolly proud? (laughs) (laughs) So good. Mm -hmm. As the Planetary Union Council meets, Havina is invited to make her statement, despite the protests of the Mocklin delegates. She speaks eloquently, even including a portion of Dolly Parton's song to support her argument. It is with hope and pride that I stand here today as a voice for those who have been voiceless for so long. It is true that we have been living in exile outside of the laws of our native planet. But to do otherwise would invite persecution, mutilation, and even extinction. If our plea to be recognized as an independent state fails, I fear that our voices will be silenced forever. As I look upon all of the exquisite diversity in this great hall, I am reminded that most of us share something in common. Over the course of history, there have been people on nearly every planet who were at one time or another oppressed by those who were stronger or greater in numbers, for reasons that now seem insignificant to us. The history of moral progress can be measured by the expansion of fundamental rights to those who have been denied them. We ask only to be included in that expanding circle of justice. There is a visionary earth poet who I have recently come to cherish. Oh boy. With power and dignity, she boldly cried out so that all the cosmos would know of her suffering. Working nine to five 
for service and devotion. You would think that I would deserve a fair promotion. Want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. I swear sometimes that man is out to get me. In the spirit of her courage, please hear our voices. Thank you. Following the statement, the Mocklin delegates once again interject, saying that if the colony is granted independence, Mocklis will renounce its union membership. You know, using threats is a really good way to get your way. Oh, yeah. Super diplomatic to be like, mm-hmm. we're going to take our ball and go home. Yeah, especially with stuff where it's like, oh, you help with a lot of the firepower and a lot of it's all pol- it's all politics. But it's crazy how narrow minded Mocklins are. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what they do. This is what they know. And especially with politics, there's always corruption with with every political realm in the world we live in now and in the universe. And I bet it just gets harder when there's so many more species and races to bring into that web of what we have to figure out. And I mean, Ed makes a point later on saying we shouldn't get all of our weapons from one source. Yeah, you got to diversify that a little bit. Maybe the krill can help you out now. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, they must have had some weapons on their own when they even formed the union to begin with. It's not like Machlis Mm -hmm. supplied all of them from the get go. But yeah. They might need to start diversifying, especially following this. I think the speech Havina makes is really great. Mm -hmm. I love seeing all of the other species and races. I knew you would. (laughs) Yeah, that I was like, ooh, ooh, go to another cut. I want to see someone else. And that was a really fun thing. But I just found this whole part of the episode very fascinating Mm -hmm. because it's like the diplomatic side and maybe the Star Wars-esque side of like, we're having debates and we're all space creatures kind of thing. But I. I really enjoy seeing that side of things. Yeah. And at this moment, I'm like hopeful that it will all work out. I think I said it back in about a girl and I'll say it again now. I love a sci-fi trial scene. (laughs) Yeah. And and this one especially, I think, was just fascinating to watch. And plus, Havina's got like her quiet calm and her confidence, though, too. Mm -hmm. Just that she's like, I mean, what do I have to lose by saying my piece? But doing it in a respectful and honestly graceful way is really kind of beautiful to see especially in such a hostile environment Mm -hmm. yeah well maintaining a calm is part of proving her point as well like it's the idea of it's the the martin luther king no violence kind of thing like we can't get to their level to prove our point because our point is that we need to be treated with respect and in order to be treated with respect we have to treat others with respect and kind of go through the system and respect the process as well. Yeah. The Orville detects a Mocklin vessel arriving in orbit of the sanctuary. Grayson speaks with its captain, who says that they're monitoring the colony and will serve justice without interference if the Union does not grant it protection. So a little bit of a, not necessarily a ticking clock in the episode, but just a a presence to make everyone feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the council meeting, the Mocklin delegate Dojin is voicing his statements. He accuses the sanctuary of being an elaborate child trafficking operation, which is placing its own radical agenda above the security of the Union. He goes on to remind them that the Union's primary supplier of weapons is Mockless, and now is not the time to fracture alliances. There's more threats, which I don't like, and... Essentially, the admirals are talking about how unfair all of it is and it's not okay, and that we don't have, you know, this is not the time to complain about how we get all our weapons from them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, it shows when people don't have a lot of forethought and when one piece breaks down, 
you're kind of backed into a corner. And I think in some ways with this, that's what's happening. Mm. He brings up specifically, now's not the time to fracture alliances either. Yeah. Who's the one bringing up the idea of fracturing alliances? They are. So it's a very hypocritical statement to even make. But it's also, it's a very common political trick of, here's the issue we're talking about, but look over here. I'm not going to address the issue specifically. I'd rather you look over here because this is the thing that I'm going to use as my argument. And it's it's something that a lot of politicians do to just avoid talking about what the actual issue is. And it's very deceitful. Yeah. And it does show a lot more about, I mean, the sad injustice that politics brings in when you're trying to be diplomatic Mm -hmm. and trying to please everybody or trying to get your point across and force your way. Yeah. It's stuff we experience in our everyday now with our politics. It's just kind of like tenfold in in space time. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of the biggest tactics used by the current government. Oh, it's it's just, you know, and and it's sad to see because you can't change a culture's perspective from God eons, probably to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Let those ladies have a plan. It's fine. That's I think it also goes. If we give on this a little bit, what kind of stuff are we going to create for ourselves back home on Machlis mm-hmm. too? Well, they even bring it up later too that the the Machlis delegates look at the people on the sanctuary as victims. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just saying these people are just breaking the law. The younger ones and the ones who were brought there against their will are victims. They were kidnapped and they're not being given the proper treatment that Machlis get by getting the the surgery to correct them. And they say human trafficking, too, mm-hmm. or trafficking, trafficking. <laughs> like, child, yeah, that's something that they believe so staunchly that they're right mm-hmm. that I mean, there's at that point, you can't really change someone's mind when you believe it like that. No, like I get their perspective, but yeah. we do kind of view it through our lens. But these people have also requested that they be given independence. So we have to respect that, too. Yeah. Mercer meets with Admirals Halsey, Perry, Ozawa, and Tucker to discuss the situation. He argues that these are basic rights that need to be granted and insists that the Union would grant those rights if they didn't need the Mocklin's weapons. And again, it's kind of like that idea of, hey, this is the issue, but now they're bringing up a whole separate issue that we have to consider, even though it shouldn't be a part of the argument. Just a lot of pieces in, into it, and it shows how quickly a situation can just become fractured by all these little parts. Mm-hmm. And you're going like, it's so black and white. And then you're like, oh, my God, it's not. <laughs> There's too many people and feelings and someone wants like it's just it shows how like in your head you're like, oh, this is an easy thing to kind of piece together. They do this. They do this. And then you bring in a whole discussion based from the universe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder how that conversation would go but it's the same thing that would happen in our day and age yeah where someone would throw some weight around and i don't think what we inherently have now will just disappear yeah in the future and it and this is a good example of that true meanwhile bordis is talking with kelly in the mess hall when clyden approaches them and insists he come home bordis confronts him insisting that being aboard a ship with females sickens him he hasn't acknowledged grayson's presence since he arrived he rarely leaves his quarters or socializes with the crew, and he clings to traditions that serve no purpose. They're interrupted by a call from Tala, who says that four Mocklin shuttles are heading to the surface. This was a moment where I was just like, yes, Bordis, thank you for saying something and 
you know, Grayson's getting uncomfortable and just like, oh, I don't want to be in the middle of this. But it's something where I'm like, it's what I've been thinking this whole season about Clyden. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't leave. I think you and I even talked about it at one point. Like, does he do anything on the ship? Like, does he get out? And he is very disrespectful to other beings on the ship. Mm-hmm. And he's just so staunch that I kind of had a yay Bordis moment to be like, thank you for sticking up to him. Because Bordis, in a lot of ways... I think he is stoic about it and just like Clyden set in his ways and doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I think Clyden's a very difficult person or a difficult Mocklin to be married to, mm-hmm. to even be a friend with probably unless you're on Mockless. And um, he's very combative and he's saying like, I want you to come home. It's late. We have a lot to discuss. And Bordis discussed like, no, you're, you have a lot to work on yourself, which was that the time and place to do it? Maybe not. But I, I did go good on you for saying something about someone's intolerant behavior yeah i appreciate him just sticking up for grace in, in that moment and in mm-hmm. turn sticking up for pretty much all the females on the crew and yeah bordis is gonna grow and evolve and change because he is forced into these kind of situations and yeah we totally have talked about why Clyden doesn't have any friends or anything or wondered about why he didn't have any friends this definitely explains all that. Clyden's not going to grow if he's keeping himself sequestered in his quarters all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's not going out and interacting. He's not showing any kindness to the females on the ship. I think the only time that we've seen him really go out of his way to talk to a female crew member is when he was thanking Tala for saving him from imprisonment, basically. Yeah. And she shot him down immediately. So <laughs> I don't know if that lends itself to Clyden's way of thinking like maybe he's still hurt by that even and this is all part of taking it out like I think the 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 cultural thing is still there and that's still the strongest yeah but I think her reaction makes him dislike females even more because he probably didn't look at her as much as an individual as Mm -hmm. a female and just being like oh that's how females behave on a whole I really am excited to see the dynamics in the next couple episodes and next season Mm -hmm. of the show because i want to see i mean i am invested fully in the bordas clyden drama dynamic and i really want to see how they grow essentially or not grow Mm -hmm. and what they tackle because i feel like in general mocklins and mocklas have been such an integral part of really intense discussions on this show yeah totally on the bridge grayson hails the mocklin ship Its captain says that he was given orders to apprehend the colonists and return them to Mockless to answer for their crimes. Back at Union Central, Mercer and the admirals are speaking with the Mockland delegates, who are insisting that the sanctuary is within their jurisdiction to act on. Halsey tells Ed that, officially, he's to tell the Orville not to take any provocative action. But unofficially, communications can be spotty in a nebula. Always like when they're like, ooh, we can sneak something past kind of thing. So, yeah. So the Mocklins come in now and say this is under our jurisdiction. They need to answer for our crimes. That's totally doing a 180 and saying they're victims. They were trafficked to being like they need to pay for their crimes. Well, the the ones who trafficked them are still <sighs> oh. or, or responsible. The ones who are kind of leading the whole thing. Okay. Well, still, I viewed that as, oh, no, are they going to Oh yeah. also make like the innocent babies who were brought there and raised there and grew there are they also considered these crime makers so it's it's something where i it goes back to in the council they'll say all these things like oh 
they're all victims mm -hmm. and then corrupt governments do corrupt things is this like a way to show like this is our jurist like they were going in without having permission quite yet oh yeah they weren't willing to wait for no. a diplomatic solution they were just like okay well we don't know what the answer is and we're just not going to wait anymore for whatever reason so here we go we're going to go take care of this ourselves mm -hmm. and in that way since they were doing that i think the union also kind of went unofficial orders can be allowed because they're not doing what they're supposed yeah. to do like sometimes you just try to do the right thing yeah yeah they're breaking the rules to do what they want to do and we have to make sure that doesn't happen which means we have to do some unofficial stuff of our own yeah Ed relays the message to Kelly, who takes a shuttle to the surface with Bordas. As they're heading down, the Mocklin ship catches them in a tractor beam. Tala gives the order to fire upon their tractor beam emitter, allowing the shuttle to escape. The two ships then begin firing upon one another. So much is going down now. Oh yeah, it just completely erupted. Yeah, there's space battle, there is battle on the surface, it's just battle time everywhere now. Mm-hmm. I did find it interesting how Kelly uh, attempted to go down to the surface by herself. Yeah. Because she knew, and she says, because she knew the decision was a career ender, a possible career ender. Yeah. So she doesn't order anyone to go along with her, but she does let Bordis when he insists on going. And that is a great example of being in command because we talked about something similar when Alara was in the episode Command Performance, mm -hmm. and she ordered the entire crew to defy orders. Didn't ask them who's with me, and we said this specifically, like, yeah. she just didn't really go through the proper steps of being like, well, I'm going to do this. If you guys want to come along with me, just know the risk that's behind it. And if you don't want to be involved, you don't have to be involved, but this is what I'm going to do. That's what Kelly's yeah. doing here. She's doing all the proper things that someone in command should do. Yeah, and I, I feel like this season especially, too, Kelly has come into her own in quite a lot of ways mm -hmm. with her own confidence and the way that she handles people and situations, too, which I think is actually this season in general has shown a lot of growth with all the characters. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I've really enjoyed that. On the surface, the Mocklin males are dragging the colonists out of their homes. Grayson and Bordis arrive and insist the males stand down, and a battle ensues when they refuse. As the Orville deflectors are taking damage, Gordon suggests taking them out of orbit and into the nebula to confuse the Mocklin ship's targeting sensors. Is this when the Dolly Parton song plays again? It sure is. Yeah, I did like that. I mean, the choreography of the fight scenes are pretty cool. I always enjoy that because I know how much work goes into that. Mm -hmm. And just to see, I mean, essentially Bordis and Kelly kicking some butt and taking names. And then I like the mashup of showing what was happening in orbit as well. and. I think it does make me sad a little bit because I'm like, it's the Mocklins. Like, why can't we all just get along? Mm -hmm. And because Bordis is one of, if not my favorite character on the show. And so for me, I'm like, man, I just want everybody to be happy. And but I do feel like it creates a lot of conflict and drama that really does push out some of like, I think, our best conversations, too. I agree. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think. Once again, the special effects group did an amazing job with all of this, and I really enjoyed the montage of Dolly over it. <laughs> I like the tone of what they're going for with the song playing mm -hmm. over it. I just don't like that song. So yeah. if there were another song that were just as catchy, then I would probably <laughs> like it more. I still like it. It's fine. I yeah. just don't really care for that song. That's just personal preference. Yeah, I feel like in this specific episode, too, it took the 
stakes down a little bit, mm-hmm. which for me was okay because I was like, the stakes are already pretty high. Yeah, yeah no, I was fine with that. But it it kind of helped alleviate being like, it's not so dangerous. They're just working nine to five. <laughs> and so that was actually really nice. And I enjoyed the juxtaposition of tone there so that it wasn't like, oh my gosh, everyone's getting murdered. And it's also the idea that Havina says this is the voice of their revolution and this is where the revolution is starting. So of course the song has to play. So it all makes perfect Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice button that they did. I uh, I really liked too the way that the camera was whipping around the bridge and in a similar way that the ship was whipping through space. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a great visual way to keep the momentum going through the scene. Yeah. Instead of having like all this swooping action of a ship and then cutting to like a static or even even just a tilted static shot would have looked weird. But the fact that the motion kind of repeats it mm-hmm. is is a really nice touch. It was very fluid, especially jumping back from the planet. Yeah. I think it all kind of flowed together with movement, which is very hard to do. It is. Thank you, Jonathan Frakes. I mean, honestly, the fact that Riker directed this episode, I shouldn't say that. Jonathan Frakes, a.k.a. Riker, number one, (laughs) directed this show. It's just a wonderful thing to think about occasionally as you watch it. And if you're as much of a Trek fan that I am, I'm like, oh, I just fangirl a little bit about it. As the council continues to deliberate, Dojin suggests that the Krill would likely align with Machlis instead of the Union should they split. Ed insists that none of them would survive without the others, and that little undetectable planet might be the last remaining Machlins should the Kalon win. Admiral Halsey proposes new terms. The Union agrees not to recognize the sovereignty of the Sanctuary at this time, and the colonists agree to end their trafficking network immediately. In exchange... The Mocklin government agrees to leave the sanctuary and its colonists in peace. I wonder if this is going to come back at some point. I hope so. Yeah, because I don't know. I have there's a lot of things my brain does where I'm like, are they going to still bring babies here? And then will Mocklins check on them? And like, it's going to cause issues, I think. But at least there is almost a ceasefire kind of agreement reached at a very pivotal time where people are getting screwed up on the planet mm. and in orbit. So I. I guess it couldn't come at a better time, but I do. I don't think this will be the last we hear of this. Probably not. No. Also, do you think the the Mocklins argument is that the Krill would align with the Mocklins should they have a split with the Union? Do you think that is actually the case? Could be reaching. Could be one of those political grabs where it's like we talk to the Krill a lot more than you guys do. But it it could just be like another empty threat. Or it could mean maybe there is like some sort of scuttlebutt of the Krill and the Mocklins work together sometimes. But the Krill seem very much like nobody else beside Avis is our god, not yours. Like, we're the elite. I kind of have a hard time believing that Krill work with anybody. Yeah, I think the Mocklins are just saying what they hope would happen. I don't think there's any basis behind it. I even think that the promise of more firepower would definitely be important to the Krill, but they believe that they're in an alliance created by Avis with the Union. Yeah. And I think that supersedes any like promise of more firepower. Because they yeah. they that captain was like, Oh, Avis has brought us together. Or not the captain, but the the Krill delegates says something along the lines of Avis has brought us together in this kind of collaboration for a reason. And I don't think that means that they're just going to ditch the Union and go with the Mocklins. No, I think that was probably just another one of those like, this is probably what's going to happen. And in a lot of ways, if the Krill had to choose between the Union and the Mocklins, and if it really became an issue, probably the Mocklins, they have more firepower mm-hmm. if you're going against the Kalon. 
which was brought up quite a bit in these council meetings. And so it's something where I think a lot of decisions based on fear probably came up, especially since that I'm assuming the Kalon battle is very recent. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure there's just a lot of grabs for what the news does in our day and age. Just it bleeds, it leads or let's shock and lead with fear. So I think that's what they were doing. Makes sense. With the proposed terms agreed upon, the combat on the sanctuary comes to an end. Ed apologizes to Havina for everything that's happened, but she insists that while they did not get the outcome they desired, they did not fail either. The colonists remain free to live their lives as they wish. The revolution has begun, and in time, they will rise, one small victory at a time. Bordis visits the classroom again to check on Topa and sees him playing with the girl, which brings a smile to his face. I need some big Havina energy in my life. Don't we all? I mean, yeah, she, the fact that she can just look at the right side in almost all situations just is honestly awe-inspiring. And I really like the ending of this because first Bordis was smiling and that makes me happy because he does not smile. He doesn't. And it, it was all based on the fact that Topa was being a decent being to his peers and another female. And I thought that that was a really nice thing because I was like, that means Topa did learn something throughout this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the first step in those situations is with one person to change that. And that's why I'm so curious to see what's going to happen with Clyden and Bordis in the future. Same. All right. What is your big takeaway from this episode? There was a lot in this episode, but honestly, it was really nice to see Havina again. And like I said, I would love to adopt some of her philosophy and the way that she handles life into my own life. And I feel like it just brings up a lot of this episode specifically brings up a lot of questions where you sit, I sit and I like philosophically try to figure out like, what are the ways that I would like to see this work out? And how did the show discuss how it worked mm. out? And I feel like it actually asks a lot of really big questions. Like I said, a lot of the episodes we've watched with Mockless and Mocklins, I feel like have brought up bigger issues or questions that are a lot deeper than just like, did he sleep with Derulio kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, which those are wonderful episodes as well. But I appreciate that there's more to dive into and un- unpack with this. And I, I really found myself enjoying this episode more than I remembered. I think I was like, oh, that was that the episode where they find the planet with the Makla women on it. And then as we were rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is a really good episode. And it flows well. It asks a lot of really good questions. And it focuses, like, Bordis is, I'm going to say, he's my favorite character. I think we've arrived at this now. (laughs) And I really enjoyed the ending because it made... It made my heart happy to see him smiling and that he felt he made a difference on something important. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't just Topa's playing with some kids. It was because Topa was playing with another girl. Mm -hmm. And I am a girl. Spoiler alert. Maybe that (laughs) also I, I, I identify with this episode going like there is a respect for women that is being asked in this. And I really appreciate that discussion, too. So I think this one is probably higher up there for me. What was your takeaway, Rob? I agree with you. I think this is a really great episode mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Uh, a lot of things you said. It's also kind of about a girl part two. Yeah. Like the follow up. Yeah. The sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that given how much things felt a little bit unresolved. This one kind mm-hmm. of picks up the ball 
and continues down that path and we get some of the answers we were looking for here. Yeah. Like you could watch those episodes back to back and I bet, and I'm actually curious to do that now. I think it would be pretty satisfying to do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was very happy to see Havina again, just like you were, uh, because like I said before, she's a great character backed by a wonderful performance and I would absolutely mm-hmm. love to see her back for an episode next season. Fingers crossed. I'm very curious what's going to happen with Bordis and Clyden, just like you are. Despite his earlier declaration of loyalty to him that he kind of said in About a Girl, it seems as though things are coming to a head. Like Bordis, yeah. Bordis is evolving. Clyden is stuck in his old ways of thinking. And I don't know how they can remain together with such huge ideological differences. Because when when the core values of two people in a relationship are so drastically different and it doesn't look like either core is changing, although they did align at one point, which is why their relationship worked. But Bordis's values are shifting while Clyden's are not. If that continues to be a gap that widens, I don't know how they can possibly stay together. Yeah, I am very, very interested to see where I mean, Clyden and Bordis have had some of the most intense relationship conflicts and this is also one of them but Bordis is finally I feel like Bordis always kind of stood up to to Clyde in a lot of ways like you're being irrational you're being close-minded but I feel like Clyde doesn't listen and he hasn't evolved like you said Bordis is evolving and so I'm thinking there's going to be some interesting changes or dynamic shifts in season three I look forward to it Mm -hmm. but before we get out of here we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one-sentence review. Other alien races in the Planetary Union. Blue hair undercuts. Fashion weak fish. Rhinoplasties. Goiter bloats. No country for old cat men. Fancy wig grumpy gals. Hellraisers. And of course, the dance. Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays, and Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.